We do come to the Word. We come because the Word is a light for us. It shows us the way. It would be nice to think that we always know the way to go, but we do not. Our hearts lead us astray. Our hearts, as the song says, are forever wandering. And so we need the Lord to guide us in His Word. And we have been looking over the last few weeks and months at the book of Genesis. The parts of Genesis dealing with the life of Abraham. And we're continuing that today. But today, in the next two weeks, these these three weeks before Easter, the stories in this part of Genesis deal with the subject of God's judgment. Now, the subject of God's judgment is not usually one of Christians' favorite topics. It's not like we go around saying, oh, please, I hope we hear about God's judgment today. Let me hear more about God's judgment. I would love to hear that. No, we would love to hear about God's love. We would love to hear about all sorts of things. God's judgment tends not to be at the top of our list of things we'd like to hear. And yet, the Bible clearly teaches God's judgment of all people. And today's text from the second half of Genesis chapter 18 reminds us that God's judgment is good. It is a good thing that God judges the world, and He judges goodly. That didn't sound right. He judges good. He does a good job judging. And so what we're going to see in our passage today is the goodness of God's judgment. Another way to think about it is Genesis 18, which we started last week. The first half says that God is great. The greatness of God. We saw that with Sarah at 90 years old conceiving. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, he's great. Well, this week, the second half of chapter 18 essentially says God is good. So God is great. God is good. You can continue the prayer if you would like. We are looking at Genesis 18 here today. So you can open up your Bibles, look in the bulletin. We're in Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16. And as a reminder, we're kind of midway through this story. Last week, Abraham was hanging out at his tent and three men appeared to him. And we came to realize that these were no ordinary men. They were heavenly visitors. That these three men were a manifestation of the Lord and two angels. And so that is who Abraham is speaking to. That is the three men that are spoken of here. Not ordinary men, but these represent representatives of the Lord. So Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16, let us hear the word of God. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous 
with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks that you are a God who does invite us into your thoughts. That you tell us ahead of time what you will do. And that you explain to us very often what it is you do and why you do it. We thank you for revealing yourself in so many clear ways in the scriptures, just as you have done to Abraham. And so we pray, O God, that you would clearly speak to us today as well. Use me in spite of my sin to faithfully expound your text today, that you would help me to proclaim your word. Spirit, use me and go forth in the power of your word and answer to our prayers and do what you have promised to do through your life-giving word. Give us ears to hear and open our hearts and minds. God, work in us by your word and spirit that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So the, the big question in our text, the question it's trying to ask is, are we sure that God's judgment will be good? Is it good? Will it be good? Are we sure that when God judges, he will do it well? Because we have such experience with judgment being done poorly, be it our own judgment or judgment of us. Or the judges in our world, judgment isn't always good. Will God's judgment be good? And so we're going to look at three reasons in our text today why God's judgment is good. The first reason that God's judgment is good is he gives a warning about his judgment. The Lord does not judge without warning. He announces his judgment beforehand. But as we notice in our passage, he makes this announcement to his people. He, he says in verses 17 and 18, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And so the Lord is about to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, these two cities, for their sin. And God is going to tell 
Abraham about it. Notice God does not go and tell Sodom and Gomorrah about the judgment. God gives the warning to his people in order that his people will bless the nations with their knowledge of this warning. Well, how exactly do God's people bless the nations with this warning? Well, two ways. One, we see Abraham do in this passage. And a second way we see in the other parts of Scripture. So the first way that God's people can bless the nations with this forewarning is we can intercede for them in prayer. It's exactly what Abraham does in this passage. God announces his impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham is inspired and motivated to pray for the city. And notice how he prays. He does not pray for all of them to be spared. He does not pray for God to stop his judgment. He prays for God to spare the righteous. Abraham wants there to be a good judgment. And so he is praying for good judgment in the same way we can pray for God's good judgment. We are warned in the Bible that all those who do not believe in Jesus will be judged by God. And so we can pray that God would save people in Christ. So when we hear about the judgment of God, are we driven to intercede for others in prayer? To intercede that they would be saved from judgment, that they would believe in Jesus? Do we pray for friends and family who do not believe, knowing of the judgment that has been warned? Do we pray for those whom we would regard as especially wicked, trusting that God can save even the vilest sinners? See, by interceding in prayer, we can bless others by crying out for their salvation in Jesus. And so that's how Abraham seeks to bless the nations. It's through his prayer. But those prayers should be accompanied by a second way that God's people can bless the nations. And that is by directly announcing the coming judgment of God. Some people read this passage and they're bothered that Abraham doesn't run down to Sodom and Gomorrah and say, get out, save yourselves. Judgment is coming. He doesn't do that. We're not told why Abraham doesn't do that. I mean, he is a hundred, so maybe that's why. I don't know. But there are other places in Scripture where God's people do go and warn the nations about God's judgment. One memorable example is the prophet Jonah, whom God sent to the wicked city of Nineveh to tell them to repent or else God would judge them. And so while we can and should pray for people to be saved from judgment the Lord will also give us opportunities to be the answer to those prayers by warning others of God's judgment against sin. The problem is many people today believe that any kind of warning about God's judgment is insensitive and unloving. But if judgment was coming, wouldn't you want to be forewarned? Meteorologists warn the public about the danger of coming storms. I don't find their warnings to be insensitive, to be unloving. It may be inconvenient to my schedule, but the weatherman didn't create the storm. The weatherman didn't send the storm to you. The weatherman is simply announcing, storm's coming. 
It's coming to you. You're in danger. And so similarly, like our New Testament reading in 2 Timothy 2, we can and should patiently and gently warn people of God's judgment against sin, hoping and praying they will repent and find forgiveness in Jesus. So God's judgment is good because he gives a warning. And he gives that warning to us to warn others as well. Well, this gets us to a second reason that God's judgment is good, and that is that God is patient in his judgment in order to provide an opportunity for repentance. And so just as God does not judge with no warning, so also God does not judge hastily. Another way of describing God's patience is that he is long-suffering. He is long-suffering. He is willing to permit sin to go unpunished for a time to give an opportunity for repentance. Look at what he says in verse 20. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. Notice the Lord did not jump right in at the first outcry. He waited until the outcry was great. Instead of responding in wrath to the very first instance of sin, he patiently waited while sin increased. And so just as parents of young children will allow sibling squabbles to simmer before they intervene, so also the Lord waits as sin persists and multiplies before He brings judgment. But why does God have to be so patient with sinners? Why doesn't He intervene and stop sin sooner? Isn't that evidence that God's judgment is not good? Because he allows sin to continue to harm people. Those are good questions. But we are told that God is patient because he cares for the sinners too. And he wants them to change their ways. And he wants the righteous, his people, to lead them to a change of ways. One commentator writes this, as long as a sufficient number of righteous people remained in Sodom, the possibility of the conversion of the wicked remained a reality. So long as there are righteous men, the wicked may be pardoned in hope that good will eventually prevail. That's why Abraham was asking his questions. He knew a righteous remnant could make an impact on a wicked population. That's what we saw in the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 5. If only one righteous person could be found in Jerusalem, I'll spare the whole city. Judgment would be patiently postponed. Jesus wants us to be like that righteous person. In the Sermon on the Mount, he describes Christians and the church as salt and light. That like salt, we help prevent the further moral decay of the world around us. And like light, we shine God's truth and righteousness into a dark world. So if the presence of God's holy people in a wicked world is reason for God to be patient, shouldn't we similarly be patient with the wicked around us? Yes, we can get frustrated by the wickedness around us. Yes, our outcry against sin can be great because sin can be really bad. But I don't know about you, but I might hastily jump to outcry 
pretty quickly. I might err on the side of outcry instead of patiently enduring the sin around me in hopes that sinners would repent. So can we be long-suffering like the Lord? Bearing with sinners as we gently call them to repentance? Isn't the Lord's patience with sinners a good thing? Because I don't know about you, but I still struggle with sin. I'm glad the Lord is patient with me. I am thankful God didn't judge me when I sinned for the first time, or the fifth time, or the tenth time, or the twentieth, forty-five, fifty, all the numbers Abraham said. I'm thankful that He is slow to anger with my sin. I am thankful that He is patient when my sanctification feels like a slog. And if we are thankful that God is patient with us, then how can we not be patient with sinners around us? How can we not be long-suffering with those who sin against us? How can we not pray for the Lord to postpone His judgment so that people have an opportunity to repent? So God's judgment is good because God is patient with His judgment. Patient to us as well as others. But see, as patient as God is, He does not postpone judgment forever. And that brings us to the third reason that God's judgment is good. He correctly punishes the wicked for their sin. When God judges, He does so rightly and He does so fairly. And Abraham knew that. That's what he pleaded in verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Notice how Abraham is confident that the Lord's going to do what's right. He's confident God's going to do two things. He's going to judge the wicked and not judge the righteous for the sins of others. God judges correctly, and Abraham knows that. He's like, I know you heard about their bad sin. I know you're going to judge it. That's fine. But I also know you are a just God. And these people who have not sinned in that way, you will spare them. You will protect them. That you are a fair and good judge. And that's what Abraham says. And Abraham has confidence that God will do that because of who God is. Because of three important characteristics about God that give us confidence His judgment will be good. First, we are confident God judges correctly because He has perfect knowledge. I think the funniest part of the passage, other than Abraham's counting, is that God's like, hey, I'm going to go down and see what's going on at Sodom. God doesn't need to look around at Sodom to know what's going on. God knows what's happening. He doesn't need to investigate sin. But it's His way of conveying to Abraham, don't worry, I'm thorough. I know everything. I will make sure I take the time to know everything. God has all evidence available to him, and so every judgment he makes is made with all the information necessary. It's the first thing we see about God's character. The second part of God's character is that he perfectly understands how justice should work. God knows every situation, and so he knows what every sin deserves. If we were to see a sin, if we were to see a crime, and someone was like, what should be their punishment? Uh, I don't tar and feather. 
or no iPhone for a week or 20 years in jail. I don't know. Like we might go too high on the punishment. We might go too low on the punishment. We have no idea. But God understands justice perfectly. And so no sin in God's eyes is judged too severely or too lightly. It is always judged exactly right. He sentences perfectly. And third, we know that God judges correctly because of his character, his integrity. Human judges can be tempted to show favoritism and to accept bribes. So they may know what needs to be done. They may know the right sentence and still not do it. God is incapable of that. God always does what is right. He will always do it, for that is his character. And so it's a comfort that God judges correctly because you know what? Sin is messy. Sin is complicated. All people are guilty of some kinds of sin. But all people have been sinned against too and live in this broken world that explains why we sin some of the ways we do. Some people do wrong things with good intentions. Other people do seemingly good things with bad intentions. I don't know. It's hard to figure out sin. If someone were to give us like perfect video evidence that we could just watch like it's an NFL instant replay of someone's sin, even if we could look at that and someone's like, all right, what should we do? You still can't see their hearts. You still can't see their attitudes, their motivations. But God can. And He judges justly. His judgment is always correct, and that is a very good thing. At least it should be a very good thing. Until we start thinking about the judgment we deserve. How can I, as a sinner, see God's judgment as good if it's me who's being judged? Sure, I mean, Judge Sodom and Gomorrah, they're obviously very bad. Really bad, as we'll see next week. But what about us? Just because they're worse than we are doesn't mean we are immune to God's judgment. And so God will do what is right, and that includes His judgment of us. And God will judge all of our sins. The Bible is a little frightening when it starts talking about judgment in this way. It's understandable we don't like to think about it. But God has perfect knowledge of everything we have ever said. God has perfect knowledge of everything we have ever thought. Perfect knowledge of everything we have ever done. God knows all of your sins that nobody else knows about. In fact, God knows all the sins that you've forgotten about. All of the sins that you've never really noticed before. He knows all of them too. He knows it all. And as a good judge, He will judge us rightly for those sins. And the just judgment for sin is death. Not just physical death, but what the Bible calls the second death. The spiritual death of hell. Hell is not merely reserved for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the worst sinners. Hell is the place of eternal judgment for all sinners. And that's what you and I deserve in God's good judgment. 
But God judges good. And he warns us of that judgment in his word. He forewarns us of this judgment and await the judgment that is coming to all people because all have sinned. And the Lord warns us in order to bless us. The Lord warns us of his judgment and points us to our only hope of withstanding that judgment. And that hope is found in Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life without sin. You could go and examine every thought of Jesus, every word of Jesus, every action of Jesus, and as bonkers as it is to believe, that includes as a child and a teenager, all of it, never a sin. Nothing that deserves God's judgment. He earned God's reward. And yet Jesus so loves vile sinners like us that He willingly took upon Himself the judgment for our sins. He knew that God had to punish wickedness in order to be good. And so He's like, I will take that punishment for your wickedness so it doesn't fall on you. And in this way, God's good judgment could be satisfied and we could be forgiven and receive the reward that we could never earn. Can you see God's good judgment? Can you see it as good that you deserve hell and yet Jesus took your place? Can you see that? Can you see the warning and heed it? Can you see the goodness in what God has done on the cross? If so, and if you have been warned of God's judgment and found salvation in Christ, how can we not warn others of that judgment as well? How can we not prayerfully intercede for sinners, even the most vile and wicked sinners in our world? How can we not desire for others to be forgiven by our Savior? How can we not be patient with those who sin against us, knowing how patient God has been with us? And so may the Lord give us a love for His good justice and a heart for the lost that we might pray for them and continue to point them to that hope we have in Jesus who took God's good judgment on Himself for us. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You that You are holy and good. We thank You that You do judge. That there are consequences for sin. We don't want to live in a world where sin goes unpunished. And yet, as sinners, we know we need that punishment. And we thank You for Jesus. Help us to so be overwhelmed with thankfulness at what You have done for us that we want to tell others. Help us to gently and patiently warn others as we pray. And we pray that You would spare those who are found righteous in Christ as we have been. In Jesus' name, Amen.